want to like have that to take notes on. Uh, there is a stack of them on the table in the back, and my lovely assistant Abby, and maybe my not so lovely assistant Jake, uh, will get suckered into helping hand those out. If you would like a copy, raise your hand. They can also hand out pens. Um, if you come up with questions as we go, uh, write them down, and then there are cards in the back you can write them on and drop them in the offering, and I will have a copy of it, and then I will answer questions later. Uh, the last thing in relation to that is offering. Uh, we are, um, we have not, we just need to make a decision, or like pick a day and start doing offering again, uh, and work it back into the service, uh, though it is 5, what, uh, 10.35 now, and I'm just getting to this part, so... Uh, we, we, uh, though we started late, right? Um, anyhow, if you're watching online, by the way, the same file, I had to make it into a P or a JPEG. Is that how you spell it? Say it? JPEG? Um, I had to make it into a JPEG. It is in the, uh, in the comments on the Facebook page if you want to get a copy of it. Uh, so, you know, you can, if you're following along at home, uh, you have that. Um, last thing, if, uh, we, we stopped doing offering during COVID and never restarted it. Uh, if you're interested in doing worshiping God with your offering, and I'll say this again, I say it a lot, uh, but it's important. Uh, we don't do offering in this church as a, you know, buying your way into heaven. It is not a thing you do to, um, you know, to make sure Eric gets a second hot tub. Uh, I don't need a second one. Uh, it is not a thing you do for any reason other than, like, this is a part of worshiping God. Um, and if you choose to worship with us, like we worship in fellowship, in song, uh, it, with our minds and hearts and the message and all of these other things, uh, but we also worship with our stuff. And that is what offering is. The plates are in the back. Uh, if you're online, the P.O. Box 505 uh, is our P.O. Box or talk to Daniel or someone else, uh, and that would be the way to go. But uh, those are the announcements that I forget every week. Uh, let's pray, and we will uh, dive into our message uh, this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with me this morning. Help me to uh, just share the gospel. Help me, help me to unpack what we're looking at today. Help me to, to point toward the resurrection of your son, his, his atoning death for us, like all of it, Lord. Help me to point to it and um, just, uh, like draw out the treasure that's in it. I pray that the folks who are here would, would hear about uh, the, the old rugged cross and the, the empty tomb and uh, be filled with uh, reassurance and, and hope and knowledge of new life uh, in Christ. Um, I pray that it would inspire us to, to pursue you and to prepare our hearts for the, for the holiday coming up. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um, in the uh, 18th century, uh, a movement, uh, the Enlightenment, took place. This is not a history lesson. It's not a test. Uh, there will be no test. The Enlightenment uh, was a major shift uh, in intellectual life. And uh, one of the things that sort of uh, marked the Enlightenment was there were, there were a lot of folks who began to question, uh, question God. And uh, one of those people was a uh, fellow named Thomas Jefferson. Some of you all have heard of him. Uh, Thomas Jefferson did something interesting. He was a brilliant man. He was a student of the classics. He, he studied uh, Greek philosophy. He studied, you know, and he was just a brilliant guy. And he uh, was also a person who did not believe in the supernatural. 
and so he took the Bible and edited it and like took out everything supernatural and turned it into an ethical teaching book. Uh, and actually, the Jefferson Bible, you can read it online. It's short. Uh, it is. It's shorter than your average novel. Like, it, there's not much there. Like, you cut out all the supernatural stuff, and you get kind of what you get. Um, but it's interesting because his, uh, his Bible, and I read this last night. I was looking for a good story, and I, I came across this, and I'm like, no way that's true. And so I had to go look it up, and it was. Like, I downloaded a copy of the Bible, and uh, I was like, wow, that, that's something. Because the Jefferson Bible, the last line in the Jefferson Bible, it concludes with the book of Mark. Um, the closing words of, his, of this Bible are, There laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulcher and departed. Period. End. Period and end. The period's there, but it's not spelled period. It's Nor's end there. Uh, books that end with the end are uh, kind of weird uh, uh, in terms of scripture. Um, but so Jefferson wrote this book of ethical teachings that ends with Jesus dying and that being it. And like it's interesting because you look at it and there's this desire to turn Jesus into this great ethical teacher and to is that me? Oh. Uh, and uh, to, oh, well, the resurrection didn't happen. And actually, in fact, some of the most conservative denominations, uh, like one of the most conservative denominations in America, one that I, like, uh, have been associated with in the past, like I I was reading this week, they did a a, uh, survey of members of that denomination, and over 50% no longer believe in the resurrection. Like, Jesus did not rise from the dead. Uh, And... I, I wanted to talk about, for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about the difference between rolling the stone in front of the cave, right, the, the tomb, and Christ risen three days later. Because it's a huge difference, right? Like, the entire Christian faith hinges on that. I used to tell people this all the time when I was in a position where I could talk about whether or not God exists. Um, the most important thing, if you want to disprove Christianity... The thing you have to disprove is the resurrection. That's it. And it's interesting um, because uh, people don't generally go there, right? Or the, the answer is, well, nobody rises from the dead. Or there are conspiracy theories, which I might do a short video on this week, uh, about like the swoon theory that Jesus passed out on the cross and woke up and then rolled the four-ton granite block out of the tomb entrance with holes in him everywhere, having been stabbed through and everything else, and then went home and appeared to people and they're like, oh, he's resurrected, but he was like mostly dead. Uh, It's just, there's so many of these crazy like workarounds, attempted workarounds, but what it all comes down to is the resurrection, because it is that on which everything hinges. If Jesus was an ethical teacher and died, he was just another man. Right? Not only that, he was a crazy man. I mean, there ain't no way around it. Like the guy said, he was God over and over and over and over again. He said he would rise from the dead. He said a whole bunch of stuff, and he was nuts if he wasn't raised. Got it? 
And so let's dive into what the scriptures have. Uh, I don't know what, what's on the slides. I'm not looking at them. Uh, over the last few weeks, um, we've looked at the commissioning of the apostles, and then we did the, uh, the ways that different people try to limit the church. And these actually tie into this because, and I've emphasized this a great deal, like when we talked about the apostles, the testimony of the apostles was Jesus was risen. I saw Jesus rise from the dead. It was the central message. They talked about Pilate. They talked about all this stuff. Like, it was right front and center. I am an eyewitness of what happened. And so, like, like this actually ties to all of that because we looked at the apostles, these guys who went to their graves swearing that Jesus rose from the dead and they saw him in glory, or they saw him resurrected, um, and then, like, like, they saw the empty tomb. They, you know, Thomas put his fingers in the holes and everything else. Like, like, this is a thing that was testified about. And then, like, as they went and preached, they preached that. Got it? Um, then we talked about people trying to limit or change Jesus in his works. We did several weeks of that, right? And, like, ultimately, every attempt to alter the gospel, to alter the scriptures to eliminate the supernatural, and most of all, to eliminate the resurrection. And this has been happening since the beginning of the church, right? In the earliest days of the church, a lot of the heresies revolved around Christ resurrected. Was he a ghost? Was he this? Was he that? There's all of this stuff, and like, like the resurrection is the center of it, right? Like, like it happened or it didn't. And the apostles swore it happened, but oftentimes people try to limit it. They say, oh, Jesus was a great moral teacher. Jesus was this. Jesus was that. Like, but the resurrection is the most important part. Like, if he wasn't resurrected, he was nothing. Right? So, in the last week's sermon, we talked about being the family of God. And, like, the central component of that was this idea that in Christ, we are risen from our spiritual death, our state of spiritual death, and we are made whole and new, and we are given family, and that family is only possible because we're born again. Because the old Eric is dead, and the new Eric has this family. And, like, the resurrection is a sign of that. Like, the whole faith, everything we do, Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, everything hinges on it. And if you take that one piece out, all of it falls apart. And that's why the Thomas Jefferson Bible was never a bestseller. Because what's the point? Um, now, one last thing, and we're going to talk about this a bit today. If you were going to start a new religion, like pull an L. Ron Hubbard, right? You all know who he is? L. Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer who started Scientology. Please do not sue me. And he created this whole thing from whole cloth. And like... Like, it's, it's something. Like, if you were going to do an L. Ron Hubbard, the scriptures, like the, the, the New Testament, Christianity, is exactly not the way to do it. Everybody with me? This is one of the things we're going to look at today. Everything about Christianity set it up to not succeed. And, in fact, there was all kinds of efforts to try and change Christianity to be like more successful groups. And they still do it today. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. Uh, I, I was actually writing about this this morning. Um, the Catholic theologian, brilliant man, uh, Thomas Aquinas, like he spent his entire life turning Christianity into like Plato. He baptized Plato, they say. Like he brought all this Greek philosophy and turned Christianity into Greek philosophy because it was so cool. 
Thomas Jefferson tried to make it into the Enlightenment. Like all of these different, you know, Christianity over and over again has had philosophy inflicted on it and different popular movements. And, you know, in the earliest days it was, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Sol Invictus, the unconquerable son, or Mithras, where people tried to turn Christianity into this stupid mystery religion. It didn't work because, because it wasn't true. Christianity on its own, the scandal of it all, it is the opposite of what everybody wanted. And to some degree, it's still the opposite of what people want. And so we're going to dig into this idea today. We're going to look at, and here's my, my different approach, if I can get my next slide here, our big ideas. I, I did a diagram because I like this. I like the flow of this argument. I think it's interesting. Um, the first big idea here is Christ's resurrection was totally unique. Like, it was a totally unique idea, totally unique event in the ancient Gentile world. There is nothing like it anywhere. Now, over the years, like in the 19th and 20th century, there was an effort by uh, scholars to say, oh, well, Christianity obviously stole the resurrection from Sol Invictus, which is the Roman... God thing and like didn't really become big until Christianity had been around for centuries and all the scripture had been written and everything else. But like there's this idea in Sol Invictus where every uh, winter solstice um, they would say, oh, he's rising from the dead. And so everybody would have to light candles at night as a way of bringing Sol Invictus back to life. He just did it every year because he died every year and came back to life. That's as close as it gets. The majority of ancient religions and resurrections, it is always a deity, right? Always a deity, and it is always an instance of that deity coming back to life with the seasons every year. And they have to bring him back to life over and over again to make the seasons and the harvest and everything work. It's not what Christ did. Everybody with me? Um, it is a totally, utterly, absolutely unique thing. And actually, it might be in my next slide, which I'm not even looking at. Just talking about from memory, um, all of them, you know, almost universally seasons, right? The literal one-time death and resurrection of a deity is Christianity, period. That is it. Nothing else does it, right? Um, there are historical claims. There's, like guy, there's a guy, uh, I can't remember his name, about uh, 50 years ago or 40 years ago, he argued that the uh, Mithras religion that Christianity, like, copied them because Mithras was raised from the dead. And actually, Mithras are, like, all these different things, like, oh, born of a virgin, 12 disciples and everything else. And, like, there's no written records. He looked at pictures and said, oh, that's the virgin birth. It was Mithras coming out of a rock. That's a virgin birth. What? Oh, this is him being crucified. It's him wrestling a bull. Christianity is unique. And actually, there were efforts to make Christianity more like Mithras and, like, the church fought it off. Why? Because it's not what they were. And so, um, finally, last thing. Uh, at the time, uh, hold on, despite so, yeah, so we don't really see any examples of this. It's a bad argument. Finally, uh, Greek philosophy. And we're going to touch on this really quick, quickly. Um, the big rock star in Greek philosophy was uh, Socrates, Plato, whether Socrates, well, anyway, like that, right? And they believed, now watch this, this is interesting, they believed that the world we live in is imperfect and that out there somewhere there's a perfect version and everything in this world is a copy. And so everything in this world is like imperfect and, like, the objective is to get to the copy. 
the form is what they are to the original, the form. Um, and they believed this and they believed it wholeheartedly and they believed everything in this life, everything in this world was trash, like not good, imperfect. And so when Christ comes along or when the apostles come along, they start going places and they're like, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. He's the first fruit of the resurrection. And you and I, we will rise from the dead in Christ um, in the end of days if we are in Christ. And they say, wait a minute, why would I want to come back in the flesh? Why would I want to rise from the dead like the world is awful? It's broken. It's imperfect. And so the Greeks would look at the, something like the resurrection. They'd get annoyed by that. They're like, wait a minute, God came and became a man? What are you talking about? Why would he come here? Everything is broken here. Now, part of the reason that that was a popular thing and you get guys like Aquinas who like adapts it into Christianity is because like the world's broken. The world's imperfect. The world is sinful. The world is not the way it was meant to be. And like there is a perfect version. Right? It was Eden, and it will be the new creation. And so they're looking for something that Christianity has, but they're like, yeah, I don't like how this works. And so the Greeks tended to utterly reject Christianity. On the other side of the coin, the people who were most directly uh, proselytized were the Jewish people. And they believed in the resurrection. I should have a little diagram there. Woo. Um, They believed in the resurrection. They believed that there would be a Messiah coming. And when the Messiah came, this resurrection thing would be kicked off. And actually, you can still go to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, right? It's no longer a Jewish temple. It is a uh, Muslim temple. But on the wall or on the hills outside, there are graveyards everywhere because they're expecting the resurrection when the Messiah comes and enters through the East Gate, right? Interestingly, he already did that. It happened on Palm Sunday. And and it could have happened. I'm not sure exactly which door Jesus would have gone in on. When they arrested him, when the temple guard showed up and arrested him, he was on that hill where the graves are now at. And like he was taken probably to the temple and then into the city through the east gate to his crucifixion, which is the event that triggered the resurrection. And so the Jews, though, they're like, oh, no, when he comes, we're going to get this resurrection thing. And so people were buried on this hill so they could be resurrected as soon as he showed up. I want to be first in line. I'm going to camp out right there. Um, There's actually a story in the Talmud of one rabbi who, uh, who wanted to be buried. He commanded that he would be buried in shoes, socks with a walking stick because he wanted to be ready to rise and follow. Uh, it's kind of fun. So the ancient Jews, they did, resurre- they did debate the resurrection at length. It is a scriptural concept. It is in the scripture, and we'll look at that briefly in a minute. Um, but the Talmud includes all of these debates. And ultimately, the two groups that were arguing about it the, were like the students of Hillel and the students of uh, Shammai. And Hillel, like all of his guys, eventually became the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection. And the students of Shammai all became the Sadducees who did not. But the vast majority of people who believed in the resurrection were ordinary people. Almost every Jewish man, woman, and child that you encountered anywhere believed in the resurrection. It was like it was universe, almost universally accepted, except for the guys who didn't believe in anything. And so like all of these debates are recorded. They all knew, they all knew a Messiah was coming, but they were waiting for a Messiah who would show up and like kick butt and take names. And chew bubble gum, but he was all out of bubble gum as soon as he showed up. 
Um, <laughs> I had to stop or I was going to lose it. Sorry. I was awful. Um, and so they were waiting for this Messiah to arrive. They were waiting for this, like, like tough guy. But their tough guy was going to come and he was going to be a warrior. He was going to be a king. He was going to be all kinds of things. They thought Jesus would be that. And then Jesus had the audacity to be crucified and die. And to claim he was God, really. God wouldn't be a, a one of us. God wouldn't come and be amongst us. That's crazy. God definitely wouldn't die. And so it was scandal. It was offensive. It was awful. The scripture is the source of all of these doctrines. Um, but in the middle, okay, so you have one group that thinks everything physical is broken and wrong, and the other group that says there will be a resurrection, but the Messiah, the suffering guy, can't be. They both look at the gospel. They both hear the gospel, and they say, nope. Not a chance. And not only that, they say, nope, not a chance to a point where they follow him. They follow the preachers. They follow the teachers. And they arrest them. And they kill them and everything else. Like, there is a conflict, which is what my little diagram is supposed to illustrate, is this idea that in between them, the one thing they agreed on, I could have done a Venn diagram, right? Like, in the middle is, like, we all agree to kill Christians because that's what they did. Um, and so there's this perfect storm of unacceptability to everyone involved. And actually, I'm not going to go into it right now at length, like, do you want to touch on it? Everything about the way it's told. Who were the first witnesses of the resurrection? They were women. Women could not testify in court. And so <laughs> the first witnesses are people that couldn't testify even, couldn't swear they saw it. Like, it's one of about a million things. If you were going to fake a religion in the ancient world, the Gospels are exactly the opposite of what you would do. Exactly the opposite. Because it's not appealing to the Jews or the Greeks. Nobody likes it. But, but the Holy Spirit opened the hearts of some, right? Uh, I'm going to touch on, this is Paul. Ooh, got to love me some Paul. This is 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, this is worth reading over and over again on your own, by the way. So there's this conflict, this crazy, like, oh my gosh, that can't happen. And Paul's response is, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What's he saying? He's saying, this is First Corinthians 1, there's a second half of this. I want to pause, explain it. He's saying, listen. God knew what he was doing, and he knew what he was doing was going to be kind of offensive to everyone. He knew it was going to throw everyone off. And he looked and he said, you know what? I don't want everybody thinking they're smarter than they are. I don't want people taking credit. I don't want people getting puffed up. I don't want people doing this insane thing that happens sometimes, right? And we do it now. It's happened ultimately where scholars come along and they know everything. And they'll explain to you ten different ways why the scriptures that say Jesus rose from the dead don't actually mean Jesus rose from the dead. Because ultimately the wisdom of man is always going to get in the way of following Christ. The gospel, the central thing, the resurrection which is coming up here we're going to celebrate, right? The linchpin of the faith. 
is crazy to everyone except those who are saved through it. There's foolishness to everyone but us, right? Like, but the believers, but those who are in Christ. For the Jews demand a sign, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, what God has done here is better than what anybody expects. The Jews are looking and they're like, nope, no way God died. Nope, 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 nope. No cross, no nothing, no incarnation, not okay. Take that nonsense away from me. You say, well, but I saw these things. Nope, doesn't matter. I could see it. I wouldn't believe it, right? On the other side of the equation, we have the guys who are like, no, this doesn't fit the way we think. Supernatural? Nope. Bible should end right when that stone is rolled in the way from Thomas Jefferson, right? From uh, different theologians like, oh, there's no resurrection. There's no miracles. There's no this. There's no that. Like, ultimately, then and today, this is a point of conflict. There's a point of difficulty. You bump me. Oh, my gosh. Um, the thing is that the gospel solves the big issues for everyone, but it doesn't do it in a way that anybody expects, and so they can't deal with it. Now, here's what's going on here, and i got to bump me ahead again. Um, first off, the Gentiles would look and say, imperfect. The world is imperfect. It is broken. It is not the way it's supposed to be. There, it doesn't match the ideal, and so there must be an ideal out there. What does the gospel do? It restores each of us individually to the ideal. A little bit at a time over the course of our lives. Beyond that, it promises that the whole world will become the ideal. And like the, the struggle with Greek philosophy is that like we can't get to this place and the gospel offers a solution. Which is something that like Christian theologians throughout the Middle Ages were like, oh my gosh, this is obviously about Christianity. And they got swindled and fooled into uh, something they probably shouldn't have. There's good stuff in it, but it's not the gospel. Um, there are other things there. By the way, one of the reasons Christianity and Judaism was so popular uh, in the ancient world was because no other religions at the time had a moral code. The gods didn't care what you did. You followed moral codes because you chose to. And Greek philosophy was very popular because it provided moral codes for people, right? There are a bunch of other examples of this. Like, So Christianity offers like a moral code from God. Um, there are other examples of this. Uh, the Stoics were looking for the logos, the word. I need to be united and close to God and have him inside me, which is probably at least a little bit what John intended when he said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, the logos. Because the faith matched everything everybody was looking for, but they didn't happen the way they wanted it. It was what everybody needed, but not what they wanted. There's a Batman quote in there somewhere. You move my next slide. Um, the resurrection. The Jews were waiting for the resurrection. They were. They, they believed in it. They were watching for it. They were waiting for it. And they got it. But they didn't get it the way they wanted it. Right? And if I can't have it my way, I'm getting it no way. Like children swear. Right? Uh, Isaiah 26, 19. 
your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Holy wow, is that obvious, right? And it's exciting. Anybody who's ever who's ever been at a funeral for a loved one feels in the core of themselves the brokenness of this world in this regard. I have never met anybody who watched a casket lowered or, or watched a loved one pass or mourned it who did not back up and say, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. This is wrong. It's not right. It feels like it's wrong. It feels like it's broken. You know why? Because deep inside of us, there is a design that says we're not supposed to die. And so the Jews were looking for that, and the Scriptures promised it, and so they were extra looking for it. Uh, Daniel, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Um, Again, from where we stand as believers, from where we stand with the gospel, we can look at this and say, oh my goodness, this is my future. This is what I'm promised because Christ rose first. He was the first fruit. He is the proof of concept. It works. It will happen, and it will happen to us. Um, actually, the Old Testament is full of examples. Uh, the Valley of Dry Bones, right? Y'all know this one? The song even? I'm not singing. Um, where Ezekiel sees the dry bones, and they, they like he gets this vision of them being brought back to life to fight for God, like God's people brought back to life. Oh, my goodness, it's almost like that's us, right? Dead in sin, dusty, dry, empty, made alive in Christ. Uh, And actually, Jesus encounters this in the course of his ministry. So like the story of Lazarus, and I picked this for a reason. We're going to do both halves of it. I'm still okay. Uh, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again from the dead in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Um, so what's going on with this is, and the reason I picked this is because I want to really emphasize, like, like the average Jewish person, they believed this. They believed it wholeheartedly. And when they saw Christ and they saw like the signs, and instead of saying that can't be him, like we talked about a few weeks ago, they said, oh, my goodness, this fits. That's him. That's him. And when he said, do you believe that I am the resurrection and life? She said, yes, I do. In our last slide here, our next slide, can you bump me ahead one? Uh, the world was blind to Jesus because it didn't fit their expectation. Um, They knew the resurrection was coming, but many folks, Mary excluded in this text, um, they were willing to see. 
the Pharisees knew. The Pharisees knew Christ fit the mold. The Sadducees knew it, and we're going to look at that in a second. But, like, he didn't do it their way, and so they couldn't buy it. No resurrection, or he's not the resurrection, or it's not through him, or whatever. Not that. So, Jesus goes. He raises Lazarus from the dead. By the way, Lazarus, Lazarus is resuscitated. Resurrection is a little different. We're going to cover that in a future sermon, though I've had a lot of people come and ask me about that. Uh, when he had said this, so he goes, he is at the tomb, he weeps, has them move the stone, and Jesus, when he had said this, he called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hand and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so Lazarus has come back to life. The next verse, watch this. The next little bit here moves on. We flash away from the resurrection of Lazarus, which is just a few miles away from Jerusalem. Word gets to the Sadducees. They're standing around like, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do about this guy? First off, he brought someone back to life. That means the resurrection happens. That's not possible. We're going to need to get rid of this bit of evidence. And so they basically, they have Lazarus killed. Um, Therefore, Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. By the way, the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection, they're like, someone resurrected? Well, he did it wrong. He's not one of us. That guy's a jerk. Can't be right. They're waiting on it. They get it. And they're like, I don't want that. It's crazy. And the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Well, excuse me. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. So the Pharisees and the chief priests are, or the chief priests are the Sadducees. These are the guys who are on the other side of the equation. They don't believe in anything supernatural. They don't believe in, like, anything, um, resurrection, nothing. Like, they're off that. But they're mainly a political party. Um, what, are you, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. So they're not disputing the signs. They're saying everybody's buying it. This is a problem. They're believing in the resurrection. They believe this guy is doing miracles because he is. What do we do? If we let it go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And there's the rub. What's the most important thing to the Pharisees? The temple and their nation. Actually, more so the temple. The Pharisees or the Sadducees had turned the temple into a money-making operation that gave them a lot of power. The Pharisees worshipped the temple in a very real way. I'm waiting for John to make a face at me, but I'm not wrong. They worshipped the temple. They worshipped their, their customs and the stuff and everything else, and they forgot God. And so he says, hey, if we let God himself show up and raise people from the dead, they'll believe him. And then the Romans are going to make everything wrong. And then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the chief priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Holy what? The guy prophesied about Jesus dying for his people, right? Actually, that's what John says in the next verse. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die 
for the Jewish nation. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from this day on, they plotted to take his life. And really, within a couple of weeks, they crucify Christ. Right? But what's going on here? So like this perfect storm of, I believe this, I don't believe this, I have a problem with this, this isn't going to work, that's not going to work. They look and they say, all right, well, we just got to kill him. Isn't that crazy? Hey, this guy's solving all my problems. This guy's probably God. He's bringing people back from the dead. Let's kill him. Last little bit here. Uh, The resurrection, the resurrection itself continued to be a sticking point. Like everywhere where the gospel was preached, it was the sticking point. Everywhere. But it is the linchpin on which the entire faith rests. If you wanted to destroy Christianity today, if you want to argue with me and tell me God isn't real, all you have to do is prove to me that Jesus was not raised from the dead. That's all the Pharisees had to do, which means all they really had to do was go and get his body out of the tomb. Except it was gone. That's a problem. Right? And there are all these people who witnessed it. And they're like, that's a problem. Let's kill some of those guys. And it still didn't work. But it's a sticking point. And as Paul continued in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, I read that earlier, foolishness to the Greeks, right? Uh, offense to the Jews. And then we jump to the end of the text where the people in the church are arguing Do people get raised from the dead? And the apostles, like, excuse me. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, this is Paul arguing with them about the resurrection. Um, And he's saying, listen, people are raised from the dead at the end of time. It's going to happen. And so his argument goes, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And these would be the guys who bought into Greek philosophy. They're saying, hey, that's not going to happen because this world is awful. It's got to be somewhere out there, not here, right? And so they're stuck on this, and they're arguing. They're like, but our philosophy says, so let's make them fit. And Paul says, listen, you can't argue there's no resurrection. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we are testifying about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Do you see the thrust of Paul's argument? And so like all of this arguing, all of this back and forth, it continues after people have accepted the gospel. Well, really do people raise? Really do they come back? Really is this going to happen? Really is that going to happen? And Paul says, look, either Christ is raised and it's going to happen or he wasn't. And he says, if Christ isn't raised, then everything we told you is a lie and our ministry is, is horrible because God's going to throw his wrath down on us. Paul, of course, can say this because he actually saw Jesus raised from the dead. So he's got that going for him. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Um, Here's the deal. That sticking point stayed. Um, but, but, but it did not change the truth of the gospel. And Paul argues this out. Actually, he also, uh, elsewhere, Paul like, like writes out this whole list of, he appeared to me, he appeared to these people, he appeared to these people, he appeared to these people. He had a whole credibility list. And he says, listen, if you don't believe me, there's a town where 500 people saw him, go talk to them. Because like over and over again, they're relying on proof. Everybody who ever attacks the gospel and the resurrection specifically, it's, The resurrection doesn't happen because 
that can't happen. Well, what about the eyewitnesses? Well, I don't know about them. It can't happen. So why did God do this? Why would God do something that everybody looks at and says, no, that can't be the case. This is the opposite of what I want. Why would he do something like that? Because it does seem a little nuts. Except God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing, things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's unpack this very briefly here. What's going on? What Paul is giving us is he's saying, listen, if it's awesome people that earn their way to heaven, then it's not grace. There's no salvation. If this made sense, then we would all puff ourselves up in it and not realize that Christ saved us from our sin. Not realize that, like, it, it would be easy to forget that, like, nothing, I bring nothing to my salvation except the sin that made it necessary, right? Like, we forget that, and suddenly we're the guy up front puffing ourselves up. Suddenly we're, God is lucky to have me as a follower. Suddenly we say to ourselves things like, well, Surely God will let me sin in this way because I've done so much for him, right? It's easy. It's easy to get lost in it. But the way God has done this, the foolish way by our world standards, the way that doesn't make any sense by our wisdom, the way that's the opposite of what the Jews wanted because God will do what he wants and he will not be limited. You can tell him, nope, you're crazy. I'm going to tie you up. And he'll say, nope, you're not going to. It's not crazy. God did it his way so we can't boast. God did it his way so we can't puff ourselves up. It looks foolish. I was uh, talking with somebody on Twitter the other day. I had a random person I'll never meet or know, and I don't really know why they did this. It was really weird. They're like, well, your opinion's nonsense because you believe in an invisible sky, Daddy, and blah, 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 blah. Like, oh, you're a 13-year-old from Reddit. Like, it's a dumb argument, Right? But people will mock what we believe. The resurrection is increasingly falling out of, like, style in the church. Large denominations deny it outright. I'm not making that up. Like, that is the case. The doctrine of several major mainstream American denominations no longer consider the resurrection as a point of faith. There will be people on Sunday who stand up and preach that it didn't happen. But it's okay that they went and lived happily ever after after rolling the stone in place because here are the great lessons you can learn, but you're still going like to the grave with nothing. Nope, there's no hope in that. God did what was crazy and what didn't make sense for you. I don't have a lot of application this week. I didn't type them out. I didn't do any of that because I wanted to, wanted to finish by telling you, walk out the door today, reflect. Easter is coming. The resurrection is coming. Do you believe it? If you got questions, come talk to me. I got this subject inside now. The next few weeks, we're going to talk about this. But Easter, with all the eggs and the candy and the bunnies and all this other stuff, it comes down to the empty tomb. If Christ died for our sins but didn't rise, then like lots of people die. Actually, Jewish history is full of messiahs who died, right? <laughs> Guess what? They weren't messiahs, and they died, and they went away, and that was it. 
Christ is the only one that has risen. I was reading about famous tombs. You go to the Egypt and you see the, the pyramids. Pyramids are great monuments to dead kings. You go to Stalin. I don't know, is Stalin still on display? Like, dude's been out, like, on display forever. You can go see his, see his body embalmed and all that. And they have to do upkeep every year because he's slowly rotting away. Or was it Lenin? I don't think anybody goes to Stalin's grave. I think it must be Lenin. Uh, but he's still dead. Like, Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers, one of my favorite places in D.C. I've watched the changing of the guard a million times. The empty tomb, I've been to both potential sites, both of them. I have sat and recognized that there's still both empty tombs, empty holes in the ground that millions of people visit every year because that's their only hope in life and in death. And let our hearts sing with that, right? little tune popping up in the background that the resurrection will happen. I am forgiven. Christ is raised. The gospel is true. Let's pray and I will let you all go. I know I'm... Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us. I pray that you would... Just give us hope in the resurrection, Lord. When we mourn the death of, of family, when we mourn the death of, of innocent, when we mourn the death of loved ones, when we mourn the death of anyone that we know, this is not the end. We will see each other again one day. Lord God, help us to remember the resurrection when we find ourselves in our, in our heads worrying about our sin and saying, I'm the worst, God can never love me, and say, nope, Christ died for me and it's proven that he took my sin because he was risen. As we approach Easter, prepare our hearts and our minds and our lives just to celebrate the freedom we have in Christ. Amen. Have a good Sunday.